Good works are necessary. Let me say it again. Good works are necessary. Now, I'm sure some of you, I just rattled your cages because you're thinking I said something that I didn't say. What I didn't say was good works are necessary for. I said good works are necessary. Let me explain. This is what our theologians say about good works. It says this. When the word necessary is used in reference to good works, it should be understood that we are not speaking of coercing, that is forcing someone to do good works, but only that it is what our God wills for us to do. Good works. God's will for us. His desire for us. The result that he wants to see in us because of what we have been given in Jesus Christ. But it's more than just the doing of them. God doesn't just want us busy doing things for the sake of it. There are three profound reasons that God wants us to do good works. They are the following. We are to do them for God. For it is, as you heard, his will for us to serve him. We are to do them for ourselves, for us, so that we may see the result of the grace that we have received from Christ lived out in our lives. And we are to do them for the world, so that all may see the truth and the power of the gospel lived out in those who serve Christ, those who are his church, his people. So why am I speaking about good works? Because that's what serving is. That's what this series, The Church Has Left the Building, is all about. Being the church, being the people of God, redeemed by Jesus Christ, the blood that he covers us with, filled with his grace and his spirit, which mobilizes us to do his will, to serve. But you know, this is not just a new message. It's not a message just for the New Testament church. It is a message that God brought to his people from the very beginning. God's plan always. God's plan for Israel. As Moses delineated God's law to the people in the book of Leviticus, Leviticus 19.18 says this, that second table of the law, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And here's the problem. Israel understood the word love, but that word neighbor, that was something that to them was a little more subjective. They were able to define who that was and who it wasn't. You know, nowhere in Scripture does it give the command that you should hate your neighbor, but Israel took that on themselves as they managed that word neighbor. I want you to think about it for a moment like drawing a circle. And inside that circle are the people who I'm going to consider my neighbors. People that I love, people that I fellowship with, people that are important to me. And outside of that circle are the people who aren't. For Israel, it was very simple. Pagans 
who worshipped false gods, they were outside of that circle. They could be hated. Samaritans who worshipped on the wrong mountain and didn't accept all of the scriptures, they were outside of the circle. They could be hated. And so Jesus speaks to the people. And he says the following that we heard in our gospel. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. You see, what Jesus was saying is your circle is too small. God's circle encompasses the whole world. God's circle is as big as his heart. The safe world that you have defined is too small. And so I'd say, well, what about us? What about our lives? What about the circles that we have drawn in our lives for the people that we love, for the people that we will serve, for the people who are on the inside? We, of course, know that there is the church, the people of God, the household of faith, and we love them and we serve them. Yes, of course. But those on the outside, those who are in our world, are we totally sure about that? Do we evaluate? Do we decide who gets help and who doesn't? Do we decide who gets included and who doesn't? Who is first and who is last? And see, that's the problem. Because so often those outside of our circle, who we don't associate with on a normal basis, who we don't know, so often, not knowing them, not associating, not having them in our lives, lets us begin to imagine things about them. Let's us begin to think that they are those who we might want to call our enemies. Thomas Merton, the 20th century Trappist monk and writer, reflects on that thought. I want you to hear these words. He says, do not be too quick to assume that your enemy is a savage just because he is your enemy. Perhaps he is your enemy because he thinks you are a savage. Or perhaps he is afraid of you because he feels you are afraid of him. And perhaps if he believed you were capable of loving him, he would no longer be your enemy. Do not be too quick to assume that your enemy is an enemy of God just because he is your enemy. Perhaps he is your enemy precisely because he can find nothing in you that gives glory to God. Perhaps he fears you because he can't find anything in you of God's love, of God's kindness, of God's patience and mercy and understanding the weakness of men. Do not be too quick to condemn the man who no longer believes in God, for it is perhaps your own coldness and avarice, and mediocrity, and materialism, and sensualism, and selfishness that have killed his faith. Ouch. Those are hard words to hear. That maybe what we reflect on other people is a result of the lack of love we have shown them in the first place. 
But maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, but I do love people. I do serve them. I'm involved here in the people of God. I care about everybody here. And I would say, great, we should. That is what we are called to do, called to serve and to love each other. That's what Paul says in Colossians 3, 12 through 14. He says these words. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. This is how Paul says the church is to act the people of God. That we show our love and our care for one another. For the household of faith. But saying that doesn't mean that we neglect going out into the world, going out to where people are. Jesus says that very clearly when he says these words, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do you remember those first three things that I opened with? The purpose of serving, the purpose of good works. For God, because it is his will. For us, that we may see the effect of the gospel lived out in our lives. And for the world, where they are. That they may see that the gospel has motivated and moved us and shaped us and transformed us into the people of God, into the church going to where they are, living out that they may give glory to God. You know, I want to put before you a person that I'm sure you don't know. Her name is Maddie McKinney Hatchett. That's a picture of her on the screen. Let me tell you a little bit about Maddie McKinney Hatchett. She was the Oakland County Commissioner for a term. She was the first African-American woman to serve as president of the Michigan Association of Counties. She lived and served in the city of Pontiac for over 50 years in both education and community work. She served as deputy mayor of the city of Pontiac. And she was once called the mother of Pontiac because of her love and devotion for that city. In the city of Pontiac, there is a park that was named in her honor, and she lives across from it. That park has become in disrepair and needs to be cleaned up. And John Trinkline has worked in order that that might become one of our serve opportunities, that as the people of God, we may go to where other people are and that we might be able to serve them and clean up the park. When Maddie was told that, this is what she said in return. The park cleanup means that the children and the families will have a clean and beautiful safe place to play and to fellowship. It will encourage the people using the park to take some pride in maintaining a neighborhood park. 
And we have the privilege. Yeah, that's the word that we use when we talk about good works and serving. We have the privilege to go out into the world, to go where people are and to serve because good works are necessary for the world that they might see who it is that we love. Well, that's the what of it. That's what good works are. That's what serving is. But what about the why of it? That's important, too, that we remember that. That we remember that we were people who were outcasts of heaven. Because of our sin, we were on the outside of the circle. We were enemies of God. And had it not been for the blood of Jesus Christ, which cleanses us, which brought God to us to show us his mercy and his grace through Jesus, we would have been lost forever. But Jesus comes into the world for God so loved the world. The circle is that big. And he places us in that circle. And he doesn't limit that circle and he doesn't limit his love within that circle. And heaven doesn't hold us at a distance anymore and say that we don't belong. Heaven doesn't say to us, let somebody else do it for them. Heaven shows us through Jesus Christ that he would be the one to do it. That he would reach to us that the world would encompass us in his grace, in his love. It's the only way that the world may ever know about Jesus Christ because of that love and that forgiveness that he has placed into you and me, living itself out by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we may act and live and be his church. I told Pastor Mark long ago that I wanted to redeem this little thing that we've gone through. And so I want to teach you this this morning. Put your hands together and repeat after me. Here are four walls. Here is a steeple. That's just a building. The church is the people. Let's look at this video once again. Lately, it seems that we are getting more and more confused about what a church actually is. So let's take some time to set the record straight. Church is not a building, though a building can be used by a church. Church is not a denomination, though a set of beliefs should be important to a church. Church is not about Sunday, though a church should not forsake meeting together. Church is not about one person or personality, though every church should be pastored. And church is not about size or growth, though every church is called to make disciples. So don't think of church as an address or a location, but rather think of church as mobile and on the move. Don't think of church as something built or planted, but rather think of church as something deployed. Don't think of church as where you are for an hour each week, but rather what you are every day of the week, because the church is the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Feet shouldn't sit still. Hands shouldn't be idle. Feet go hands do. This is the church. Church isn't what you're sitting through right now because you are the church. Now go and be the church.
pray? Lord Jesus, we, we ask you as your people to teach us more and more what it is to be your church. We've been reminded today through your word again of your calling us to good works. Lord, it's, it's a fruit of our faith in you. You've called us to know you, and to know you is to go out and serve where you are, where people are, to bring hope, to bring encouragement. And Jesus, you are the hope of this world. And we pray that as your people, the church, that you would mobilize us, lead us, guide us as a city on the hill. It's not something to keep quiet about or keep hidden, but rather something to share that others might know of who you are as we praise you for who we are in you as your church. It's in Jesus' name we pray it. Amen.